0: Welcome to episode 1834 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you?
1: I am doing great. I do not currently have a cold. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing a little bit better than you.
0: I have a cold. It's not mm-hmm. COVID. It's fine. But mm-hmm. yes, I think uh, this, this is not an unusual occurrence for me, not only in like the the aftermath of opening day or the lead up to it but also like I would always get sick like after finals in college and stuff mm-hmm. you're just uh you're so vulnerable a,
1: a post positional power rankings cold
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was a end of positional power rankings cold and i felt like i could feel myself getting sick and so e- editing every blurb i felt like i was laying track in front of a moving train like i just gotta get this done before it really w- whammies me but it'll yeah. be fine it's friday we have baseball mm-hmm. back i have a weekend to sort of uh, recover and chill so mm-hmm. uh here we are uh post yeah. post opening day pod yes
1: indeed yeah, baseball that- back I guess there's a nice little silver lining to just the common cold now, right? Hey, it's oh, not yeah. COVID. <laughs> That's yeah. something this that is, cheers you up.
0: Exactly. This is like again when I got sick in college one time, and they thought I had mono, and it was just like really, really bad strep, and I was so relieved because I was like, "Well, you can give me antibiotics for strep throat." Uh, right. So yes, we've we were um, we're COVID adjusting illness now. It's a weird mm-hmm. time to be alive, Ben.
1: Yeah. But a good time, at least baseball-wise. So, yes, as you said, we got to enjoy opening day on Thursday, or as it's known in my household, shopening hay. And it was great. It was wonderful. It always is. There were a few games that were postponed, but really, it was just fun. And and I'm not at all discerning when it comes to what I watch on opening day. Like later in the season, maybe you pick your spots and you're not going to just watch anything. And you look at the pitching matchups and you look at, well, are these contending teams? Granted, you're going to get. Good pitching matchups generally on opening day. But even so, it's like, oh, baseball's on. Okay. (laughs) I will watch that. (laughs) Whatever you put in front of me, I will turn on and be happy to see it because it's been so long and because we didn't know whether we would get to this point or when we would. And that adds a little extra pleasure to it. So it's great to be back.
0: Yeah. I had a moment the other day where I was, you know, preparing our staff predictions for the season. And, you know, it's a thing we do right before mm-hmm. opening day kicks off and I got a little I got a little emotional. I was yeah. we were still firmly we're still firmly in the range where I thought we'd be locked out. Like 6 weeks ago, I, my expectation was that we were looking at an opening day starting in mid-April at the earliest and May as the mm-hmm. as the likelihood. So, it felt nice to be preparing, you know, the predictions of our staff for ridicule on the internet.
1: It was good. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Passan had a story at ESPN earlier this week about just the beat-by-beat, how did the CBA happen, and he did make it pretty clear in that story that it could well have just gone completely off the rails and really just could have lasted indefinitely, just because if they had not approved that last offer from MLB, and there were quite a few players who didn't want to or or thought it wasn't advantageous, but ultimately, most of them just really wanted to play baseball, it seems like, and so they ratified. That deal and, and agreed to it. And if that had not happened, if that latest deadline had been blown, and then the players had probably pulled expanded playoffs off the table, right. and MLB had said, we're not paying you for a full season, we're not playing Andre's 62 Games, then who knows? Like, it could have spiraled, it could have lasted weeks or months, so yeah. we have to be grateful, I I guess. I mean, there are still some players who feel like maybe it wasn't the best deal, but ultimately most of them really did seem to want to get on the field, and they voted that way, and I'm not sorry about it right now.
0: Yeah, it's sure nice to be, you know, getting excited to see Julio Rodriguez's big league debut, then stressing once again about whether or not we'd get baseball. So, yep. you know, it's it's not an uncomplicated situation, and our reaction to it is definitely tinged with, you know, an understanding of what what problems still persist in the game, but we get to be excited about opening day. It's a good day. Mm-hmm. Yeah anything in
1: particular you enjoyed, we're, we're going to get to some other banter and there's been some non-opening day related news and sure. extensions and yeah. non-extensions and we'll trades? have a, snap blast what a are you later. All, yeah. What
0: are you all doing with these opening day <laughs> trades? Aren't I you know. busy with bunting?
1: Suddenly it's <laughs> overshadowed by actual baseball games like right. a, a trade. I mean, Chris Paddock for Taylor Rogers yeah. and others like That's that a would big have been,
0: deal.
1: <laughs> there were many months in the offseason yeah. when we would have been desperate we for- We would have spent <laughs> days
0: to talking about chris paddock we would have been we would have spent days and days trying to figure out if you know minnesota's the right team to help him figure out a third pitch and also the shape of his fastball but
1: yeah so we'll get to that but yeah yeah.
0: i enjoyed i mean i guess just staying on the idea of, of julio who obviously we won't see until a little later today when when uh seattle is able to play minnesota very funny that that game got postponed by the way because apparently it was like 70 degrees and sunny in seattle yesterday it was like a perfect day for baseball but sort of sticking on that theme like it was really exciting to get to see a bunch of top prospects like make their debuts and 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 Mm -hmm. have an impact in the games that they were in right we got to see bobby witt jr we got to see steven kwan like or you know there's just like a lot of a lot of guys who we've been sort of looking forward to for a long time and and now a lot of them are here and not all of them Obviously both because we didn't play a full slate yesterday that that is the one thing about Sort of the the lockout postponed opening day typically on opening day we get like 15 games and we we got a a Smaller slate not only because of weather postponements, but just because they were like look we've already goofed with these series enough We cannot possibly Mm -hmm. shift them around anymore but it was it was very cool to like get to to see those guys making their debuts and I don't know we are we're part of the the Quan Hive over here at FanGraphs so uh um, Yes, right. we're we're very excited for Stephen Quan and the Guardians. <laughs>
1: Yes, you've uh, planted your flag. Yes, Eric Logan Hagen has. Yes, Stephen Kwan, <laughs> but
0: well and truly stuffed. <laughs> not
1: the only good Guardian snooze this no. week, which we will get yeah, to gosh, also. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so obviously the highlight for me was Otani watching yeah. Otani and and the two way action, and it ended up being a typical tungsten Armo Doyle start where he was great for four and two thirds, and he struck out nine and gave up one run, which he was really kind of let down by his defense on that one Joe Adele and then was just generally let down by the team's offense and also I suppose his offense personally but the Angels didn't get anything going but it was great to see him and he's just a really good pitcher we talk so much about his hitting he's a good pitcher too like maybe that's how he can top last year's. this year he can win the Cy Young as well as as the MVP I don't know he probably won't get enough innings it would be tough in a a six starter rotation but He's great. It was a lot of fun to see him again and also a healthy trout and yes. you know striking out 9 Astros that is difficult to do cuz the yeah. Astros are always tough to strike out. So that was the highlight. It wasn't necessarily the best game. There was of course the Seth Beer walk off on National Beer Day, can, National Cerveza Day, we can can could we say.
0: talk about this for a second cuz sure. so I, you know, I put that game on it was one of the, the later games, and you know, you Darvish is pitching for the Padres. And you Darvish carried a no hitter for a while, like you know, to the point that I was kind of surprised we didn't get an alert about it. Maybe we yeah. did, I don't know. I was very tired, and also I am sick. So, you know, the, the D backs get a hit against Darvish, and I was like, I can go to bed now because I'm not going to miss the back half of a back end of a no hitter. And like, if you Darvish no hits somebody, I want to be there to see it. I yeah, want to watch sure. So, I went to bed. Fully expecting the Padres to win that game. And then this morning, after I had done some editing and was like catching up on yesterday's scores, I was like, wait a minute, the D-backs won that game? How is that possible? So <laughs> yeah. despite their their recent trades, the bullpen might still need some work in San Diego.
1: <laughs> yes, possibly. Although Taylor Rogers had not arrived yet.
0: Exactly, <laughs> so yes. So that was
1: why... But yeah, that was fun. And that reminds me, since I just made my little beer cerveza joke at MLB's expense there, there's a new sponsorship that everyone sent us. I guess this is now going to be one of our new beats on this podcast. Weird sponsorships. Weird sponsorships. (laughs) So Dairy Queen now was named the official treat. of MLB. And its signature stack burgers are now the official burger of MLB. Actually, more specifically, I guess it's the DQ Blizzard Treat, which has been named the official treat of MLB. The official treat. Yes. Which seems like too broad, like he's yeah. might uh, given okay. away. They need, <laughs> too to, broad they a need to specify,
0: here. especially because it's Dairy Queen, famous for their frozen treats. So right. I can't believe that the the sponsorship is not just from day one the official frozen treat of Major League Baseball. Because mm-hmm. all all kinds of other treats out there that you know, like you could you can have both human and non human treats, right? Like there could be mm-hmm. a, an official dog treat of of Major League Baseball on unexplored potential advertising yep. to the dogs. You could have, you know, you can have a salt, uh, I guess you would have salty snacks more than you have salty treats, but all sorts of treats and, and apparently none of them count except for the ones from Dairy Queen. Yeah,
1: I mean, you could define almost anything as a treat. Yeah. Any of uh, MLB's other sponsors could say, hey, we're a treat. We're yeah. the official beer or cerveza of Major League Baseball. I mean, a nice cold beer slash cerveza yeah. on a hot day, that's a treat. That is a treat. How <laughs> are you giving away official treat? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe there would be some conflict there. but they could always subdivided as you said and you can have uh official treat an official frozen treat and official uh salty treat or just uh, use a different language whatever yeah. you, you want to do but yes uh that's uh our, our latest beat here i guess this is we're playing right into mlb's hands i, I mean know. if it's uh we're, we're giving them the promotion that they crave that. here <laughs> this is probably why they do this stuff but it is amusing the way that they use this language and and all this like you know Amplification and leverage and uh, synergy, and all of the press releases just are filled with business buzzwords and it's like, hey, it's it's Dairy Queen. Yeah, <laughs> like we don't have to dress this yeah, up you, as anything it is not.
0: Yeah, you don't have to make it more complicated than it <laughs> is. Like it's just it's Dairy Queen. It's a, a tasty frozen treat. I'm surprised that you haven't brought up the the one that I have received the most notifications about, which is MLB TV's baseball zen.
1: Oh yes. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah we should absolutely talk about that. So for anyone who was not watching on opening day the new between innings thing instead of the old riff, which you want to do it one more time.
0: <laughs>
1: so instead of that, I followed... have the energy for that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry it's to okay. put you on the spot on this day. But uh, yeah. after that, you would just see highlights yeah. and often the same highlights over and over. Over but... and over
0: and over <laughs> again. As if baseball was like six games that had ever been played. It's yeah. so bizarre
1: i didn't mind seeing highlights, but I, I was just you know let's let's expand the studio space here let's exactly. see some more highlights open up the archives in the vaults. but now instead of that, at least for now, we have baseball Zen, yeah. which is uh just this moment of it's almost like a s m r sort yes. of that's basically it's like slow motion. Footage of something happening on a baseball field. It yes. could be the groundskeeper spraying water on the grass. It could be a pitcher scraping his cleats against the rubber. Like all of these, just like moments of, well, baseball zen, I suppose, accompanied by the sound of that action occurring, supposedly. Yeah. And, and there are just a few of them. And I don't know how you felt about it, but I like it. I like it a lot.
0: Ben, I love it.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: It's so, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and look, I'm sure that there will be ads. We we have. <laughs> I'm gonna say another thing I immediately regret, but I'm gonna do it. Look, we're broken dicks that must be fixed. Okay, so like we're gonna see ads.
1: Oh yeah, new but, ed ads dropped. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I I saw back have... to back competing brands of, of ed eds
0: well yeah i mean like it's it's a apparently it's a thriving market There's <laughs> a lot of work that needs to be done in that space yes we, we're given to understand but um i think that we have both commented in the past on one of the the nice things about baseball is that it is from a sound perspective like you can be engaged and thrilled by a game and like really into it but you also if you want can do what i did on the for the first part of opening day which is take a baseball nap you know you can have yeah take take a nap with a game on in the background and it it's really lovely and sometimes the baseball nap is disrupted by and you you're shaken awake by an unpleasant sound. And instead, we got Baseball Zen, where it was just, you know, it was rain falling. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. the cleat in the dirt. It was, it was great. I, yeah. you know, sometimes you feel like somebody makes art just for you. And I feel <laughs> like I wouldn't actually dream of laying personal claim to this as if I'm the only one to appreciate it. But it's, it was, it was nice. It made me feel calm. I, mm-hmm. I like it. I think yeah. that. It's too know, good
1: to last. It's like I, I'll, I'm just happy to have anything that is not a sponsorship, that sure. is not an ad, even though like we're paying the subscription for yeah. MLB TV, but it's MLB. So I still expect there yeah, to be I get that there will be ads. just in every crevice. But still, I, I mean, even if it, it doesn't last, I'd be sorry to see it go, but hopefully it stays. It's really nice. I mean, sometimes in the past we've just had the like, you know, break in progress screen, yeah. which I would certainly prefer. That's to. fine, too. <laughs> two ads. Totally but fine. but this is even better than that.
0: Yeah. It's really nice. I wouldn't mind if You know, this is probably complicated from an engineering perspective in a way I don't understand. Just like I don't understand how I can search for one thing and immediately be advertised to it on Instagram. But uh, these sites don't remember my password even when I tell them to. But (laughs) So this is probably complicated, but they should like shift their advertising depending on the time of day. Like we should see the baseball zen more as the evening goes on. Mm. Right. Like, you know, you're settling in for West Coast baseball. For some of you, that means it's very late. For me, it means it's 10, which is late for me because I fall asleep earlier and earlier these days. And so it's just like to to lull you into a pleasant. Uh, it's nice. It's good. Yeah. I should do yeah. it like
1: that. I was worried at first because I thought it was going to have the same issue as the highlights, which was repeating the same things over and over, because right. I, th- I think the first couple times I saw it, it was like the same moments of Baseball Zen, but then they varied it up a bit. There's a little bit of a library. One thing I did wonder, though, initially, I thought that the sound was actually coming from the highlight, that they had picked up the sound from that footage. Yeah, that, that doesn't footage,
0: seem to totally be true. I don't
1: think so, no, which yeah. is why I wondered like how they are recording these sounds. Like there is there a Foley artist in a booth somewhere who is like scraping cleats against a rubber like watering grass or or recording rain probably like it's not actually from the field at that moment I don't think which it seems a little artificial at times to me and and some of the clips it's more obvious than others than right. This cannot have been making that sound, (laughs) but I still appreciate it. I'd like to know exactly how this came about. Whose idea was this? Who recorded it? Let's get the baseball Zen people on the podcast, but generally, I'm in favor.
0: This feels like an Emma Bachelorette piece waiting to happen. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Go talk to the the Zen people. And I was so pleased because in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is going to be a... This is going to be an ad for a meditation app. I'm going to be sold like <laughs> over the computer therapy here. Like that's what I thought it was going to be and it was like, "No, it's just like you get to listen to the rain and see rain on the field at a at yeah. a baseball game." It's yeah. nice.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, and you know, I watched during the Angels game after Otani left when he was still scheduled to hit thanks to the Otani rule, right. but there was a, a lull there where my wife was up with me too, and we realized that the season finale of Severance had just dropped because it was after midnight on the East Coast, and we've been watching that. We were excited to see the season finale. So we flipped over to Severance on Apple streaming platform, which is, I guess, where I will be watching the Angels game tonight. And I think it was, we flipped over as the bottom of the seventh was starting we watched the entire season finale of Severance, which was a more than 40 minute drama. And then we flipped back to the Angels game and it was still the top of the eighth, oh. <laughs> which was not ideal. Like, uh, I don't want to be, you know, the day after opening day. The baseball sure is uh, slow and the games are long, guy. <laughs> but if you can watch an entire <laughs> TV drama and then flip back and less than an inning has gone by, I don't know, could potentially be a problem. Granted, it was an eventful inning. Yeah. The Angels had a little rally and the Astros scored a couple of runs and maybe there were pitching changes too. So it was not a crisp inning, but then that's often the case in the late innings when you start getting relievers and the reliever carousel. So yeah. that, uh, that kind of hit home to me. You know, if I were not already in the tank for this sport and I had the option to go just watch a good TV show <laughs> in the time it takes to watch one inning of a baseball game, well, that might be a tough choice so anyway looking forward to the pitch clock next year
0: i mean yes i i i think that that's right but also i don't know it never bothers me on opening day just because no, it's of been course such a, a long time but yeah there there are definitely moments where you're like this could improve this could improve in the future and it no doubt will i enjoyed sort of in that vein of like f- f- rule changes both now and in the future did you have an experience of pitchcom yesterday how did pitch, yeah. how did pitchcom hit you
1: I like pitch PitchCon. Yeah. It's it's totally fine. I don't know whether it improves pace or not. I mean, it, it seems like it should or or it shouldn't hurt it at least, but I it's like, quick. It's unobtrusive. Yeah. It seems like everyone who's used it has had pretty nice things to say. This is for anyone who has not seen this already. It's the electronic oh, yeah. pitch calling system where the catcher taps in something on a wrist pad and the pitcher has a thing under his cap and it plays a, a voice that says what the Pitches and where he's supposed to throw it, and you know you don't have to speak and you don't have to flash a sign that could be intercepted by someone. And a few of the fielders behind the pitcher have pitch cam devices too, yeah. so that if they're an infielder, they know which pitch is coming and they can lean this way or that way. So I like it. I'm totally in favor.
0: I think that it will absolutely speed things up as. As guys get used to it, I mean, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, people have to get used to it, although I did notice. So I was watching the back end of the Cardinals-Pirates game, and Aaron Fletcher was in. Poor Aaron Fletcher. He had a real rough outing. (laughs) But that's not the point of this story. And Aaron Fletcher wears glasses, and, you know, he was sort of adjusting things. And at one point, the, the pitch comm receiver fell out of his hat, but he got it back <laughs> in there just fine. It was interesting to see like who it's it's voluntary. You don't have to use pitch if you don't want to. And there are some pitchers who seemingly aren't like you darvish wasn't uh, you know when you yep. darvish was pitching the Toney padres weren't, which mm. this question came up in the chat i know there's some customization available but someone in the fangras chat yesterday asked like well there's there's only so many buttons so like how do you how do you account for a you darvish because he has like right. 14 pitches
1: <laughs> yeah and i don't think they have japanese as a language option that's yet,
0: that's so. right they it is available in english and spanish but i don't mm-hmm. think it's available in japanese just yet but so anyway it was interesting as like a you know, as a catcher nerd, I was I was yeah. very into the the pitch experience yesterday. I wonder if there will come a time because you know, especially if it's going to be a night game, catchers will paint their their fingernails so that the mm-hmm. signs are easier to see. And I wonder if there will come a moment where like the the pitch calm goes down and you have to use signs, <laughs> but your fingernails aren't painted. Or are you just always going to paint your fingernails? And as a backup, is it part of your like business continuity planning? <laughs>
1: Right. These are thoughts I had. Yeah. I don't think it'll dramatically speed up pace because I don't think the main source of the pace problem is pitchers or catchers having a tough time getting on the same page no. or even, you know, going through multiple signs so that they can deceive someone on second. Like, definitely things slow down when there are runners on base or when there's someone on second. And there will occasionally be pitchers and catchers who aren't on the same page. And then you have to have a mound visit. So certainly it should cut down on that. I think most of the source of the slower pace is just the fact that well it takes a little time to recover when you're throwing really hard and also maybe just to think about what you want to throw and you know it's advantageous I mean some studies have shown that it seems like players do a bit better when they take a little longer which kind of makes sense and so if no one is forcing you to hurry along then you're gonna take that extra rope that they give you but I think maybe it will help just because well if you get the sign passing and receiving business out of the way very quickly then you'd just be standing around right not doing anything and you might feel more pressure to well okay I I know what I'm throwing now so I guess I better throw (laughs) I can't just stand here and look like I'm doing something so I don't know that it'll be a dramatic improvement and I think you absolutely need the pitch clock yesterday or ten years ago but I think it could help
0: yeah, I think that that's right. I think it could. And, you know, provided, I know when Jay Jaffe wrote about it for us, he sounded a not an alarm, alarm is too dramatic, but, you know, issued a reminder that when, when technology is introduced to try to curtail nefarious pursuits, that <laughs> right. new nefarious pursuits can find yes. their way. So obviously, you know, we want to make sure that, like, this stuff actually works and the encryption is as tight as it's supposed to be, et cetera. But it seems mm-hmm. like a good development. So, yeah. you know, that's cool.
1: Hopefully the pitch cons won't get hijacked by any NFT people <laughs> who will start to promoting NFTs in pitchers' ears oh, as they're trying no. to pitch.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah, terrible.
1: The only other nitpick I had about broadcasts on opening day was that the in-game interview is back. Apparently, now this was the best case for that, right? So I don't know if anyone saw. The Reds game. Joey Votto was mic'd up on ESPN. Are you about to
0: complain about this? Really?
1: Yes. Briefly. Ben! (laughs) I'm sorry, but-
0: Let's hear uh, it.
1: This is, uh, look, this Make was case. the best case scenario for this sort of thing, because Joey Votto is an international treasure, obviously, and he didn't have any balls hit to him or anything, so it wasn't awkward. And maybe first baseman is the best case scenario just in general. Yes, Ginny Searle made that case at Baseball Prospectus today, noting that, you know, as opposed to the Ramon Laureano example a couple of years ago yes. that bothered a lot of people, including me, he was running all over the place. He was fielding balls. He was making throws. He was out of breath. It was like, leave the poor man alone and let him do his job. Yes. Whereas Joey Votto is just standing there, and obviously like he's still engaged in the game, but first basemen move around a lot less, yeah. so that's an advantage of this. I still don't like it (laughs) I still just don't like I want to hear from Joey Votto in every possible way at every possible time and now we can follow him on every social media platform if we want more from Joey Votto and I want a Joey Votto podcast and when Joey Votto retires I want him to be in broadcast booths absolutely want to hear more from Joey Votto but just don't want to hear from players while they are playing the game I just don't I guess this makes me old-fashioned but you know he even said like Playing defense by itself is hard. Hitting by itself is hard. Doing it with a microphone in my ear is foreign territory. And, you know, he was sort of saying that tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. There is truth to that. And, you know, he said also, I'm talking right now, but my heart is beating through my chest just because I know how every single moment counts. And I guess that's what bothers me. It's like, yeah, maybe if you're getting a little insight from the player about how they're playing, it could be valuable Otherwise, I don't know, could we not just hear from them, like, when they're on the bench or between innings or just in a different platform? Just because I feel like, to me, it it almost makes the game feel exhibition-y, which is maybe because this has mostly happened in exhibitions yeah. to this point, but it just feels to me like this is an important moment. Like <laughs> you never know what could happen here. Like he might have to field a ball, like he's uh, holding on a runner. And yeah, that leads to a fun interaction with Ozzy Albies who was on first base. and Delightful. And- Yeah. Vado's asking him uh, if he should get a gold tooth to further his midlife crisis. I mean, wonderful interactions and everything, but it still just makes the game feel like a little bit of a sideshow to me, which is kind of a a constant in a lot of ESPN broadcasts where it's just like the game is on in the background, but we're basically like doing a podcast or something while we watch the game. But it just kind of like cheapens the action a little bit to me. And I don't know. I feel like a baseball grump saying this, but it's like, this is important. Like, this is a real game. This counts. Like, let him focus. Like, how could it not possibly, like, if you're trying to conduct a conversation and be entertaining and watch your words because you're on TV and tell the player who's on first base, hey, I'm mic'd up. Be careful what you say. Yes. It's just a lot to handle, even if you are Joey Votto and you're a veteran and you're great at your job. I just, it's hard for me to imagine that it could not impair your performance in some small way. And maybe that's worth it because if this grows the game and appeals to a broader audience and makes baseball players more personable, shows their personality, like maybe that's worth it, I guess. But I don't know. It just feels like it matters too much to me, like an actual game that counts toward the standings to be talking to players while they're actually in the field. And it sort of stresses me out too, because it's like, I don't know, like let him focus. Like what if a ball's hit to him? What if a runner like runs through him or something? I don't know. It's just got to be slightly distracting.
0: Yeah, like I'm sympathetic to all of those concerns and it it could well be that like what we want to, maybe we just want to limit it to, you know, to, to like the all-star game like the all-star game right. is oh, the sure. perfect time yeah. to do it because nobody cares
1: yeah freddie freeman was mic'd up at the all-star game and it was great yeah so, yeah
0: yeah so like i i have some sympathy for the concern and i i'm probably more tolerant of it in this precise moment just because of how good a hang joey Votto right. was Of course. and so you know we are not guaranteed that kind of a presence all the time although i think that the broadcasts have gotten better about like knowing who they should mic mm-hmm. but you're right that we're not we're not guaranteed that all the time and so the the balance really does depend on the the fields are being good but I am so happy to know that Joey Votto thinks of himself as being in a midlife crisis like that is <laughs> That's... Yeah, well, that's a great one. He
1: said, every day is a midlife crisis. You hope you are in the middle of your life. <laughs> so you hope it's not a crisis necessarily. But yeah, I mean, I love Joey Votto. Of course, everyone, he's a treasure. So maybe it was just, hey, we happen to have Joey Votto playing first base while we're doing this game. Might as well take advantage of that. But I don't know. It's, it's potentially all downhill from there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely not without risk. And it would be terrible if... If, you know, I th- I think the worst case scenario isn't that someone like Votto makes a terrible misplay, but rather that somebody like gets injured and then we yeah. really hear it, you know, like we really yeah, hear them. Get... That
1: would not be a moment of baseball zen.
0: No. Oh, gosh. It would be terrible. So. It's
1: a very, very slow motion crack.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty bad. But. I yeah I don't know this one was just fun I think that if we're going to do it in game that maybe opening day is just the right day to do it if you're going to do it in game mm-hmm. in a game that counts like do one on opening day do the all-star game and then yeah. and then be done I think that that's perhaps the balance to strike because you you know it's not like the games on opening day don't count toward your final record but I think it's easier I mean it clearly wasn't for you so maybe i'm I'm just wrong about this but for me at least it's easier to be like eh, it's one game when it's opening day like it's literally mm-hmm. you got 161 more of them so
1: Yeah, and the Loriano case in twenty twenty, that was a playoff game too, which the stakes were even higher. So that made it worse. Yeah, that
0: yeah, that was that was very stressful. It was not, as you said, not baseball zen. It was incredibly stressful. (laughs) He seemed stressed. The booth seemed to realize as they were doing it what a bad idea it was. (laughs) Like it was just kind of bad all around. This this struck me as different because, you know, it's like it's as you said, it's first base. So like you're able to Sort of handle things a bit better, and I do appreciate though that the the etiquette around this has has been established like very very swiftly, which is the (laughs) very first thing you say when someone comes into your range is I am miked, (laughs) yes, miked here, I am miked. It's like you know, it's always funny to see how we establish social norms with those in our community, and the social norm here is don't say anything dumb or offensive cuz everyone will hear
1: you yeah you should wear a big sign on your back or something <laughs> on the air here or like yeah like a a hat that has like a red light <laughs> that yes. goes on when you're mic'd like in a radio booth yeah Alright, I am also kind of looking forward to this Apple broadcast. We, we've talked about uh, the idea of, of splintering all of the games among various platforms and how that could be a, a double-edged sword or possibly just bad and how it's uh, hard to find these things, although at least this is free for now. But it sounds like Apple is actually like investing in its baseball broadcasts and is going to try to do some interesting things and have supporting shows. And just reading from a, a press release here, I I haven't seen the broadcast yet, obviously, but supposedly it will incorporate new on-screen graphics that include innovative new probabilities-based forecasts of different situational outcomes. So not just win expectancy, I guess, but maybe what are the odds of something happening at this particular time, which I think I've I've seen that before, but not for a while. And then they're also going to have like highlights and live look-ins from other games, and then... On-screen call-outs about batters' walk-up songs from Apple Music. Just some corporate synergy there. I guess oh, you can identify no. what the walk-up songs are.
0: They're going to make my iPhone talk to them. hate this.
1: Oh, yeah, because then it says uh, test their knowledge of baseball trivia with help from Siri. No. <laughs> and in a first for MLB games, Friday Night Baseball will feature rules analysis and interpretation from former MLB umpire Brian Gorman which is interesting i mean that's a a staple of nfl broadcasts for instance i don't know whether we need that in mlp broadcasts which is i guess why we haven't had it up to this point i would think that like a lot of games i don't know that brian gorman would have that much to say about rules analysis and interpretation especially if the umpires are now addressing the crowd and the people at home on the mic when something happens with a replay like how often would an umpire really have anything substantive to add? I mean, umpires are interesting. I'm I'm interested to hear from umpires, happy to to hear from them, but you know, maybe we should have umpires in the booth just full time as analysts. Like why not? We have former players, former umpires could be interesting, but yeah, there aren't that many times that I'm watching a game and I'm thinking, I wish a former MLB umpire were there to explain this to me. Like, I guess if you get the right game, then it could be great if it happens to be one with some kind of controversial or cryptic call. But most of the time, yeah, he was out because he he beat the throw to the bag there and uh, he was not tagged and therefore he was safe. I mean, I don't know that there's all that much to, to add in most instances.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a a lot of variability of use there. And it's weird to do it now when we have the umps explaining replay review on the field. Right. Like yeah. mm-hmm. isn't this the least useful time mm-hmm. to do this because we we're getting better rules explanations in game? Yeah, I don't I, that seems odd. I was surprised that um the during the NCAA tournament they had Gene Steratore doing reviews in basketball, and he he was a football guy famously, so I don't know. I feel like the former official input into game still has some optimization left to be
1: <laughs> Right, yeah. Alright, so a little bit of news before we wrap up. So we had extensions, we had non-extensions, we also had some Ronald Acuna comments about Freddie Freeman that got a lot of attention here. Acuna was doing an interview and sounds like there's no love lost between those two or that there just wasn't really any love or relationship to begin with other than the fact that they were on the same team. Acuna was asked what he would miss about Freeman and he said nothing (laughs) he basically said that they didn't talk that they were workplace proximity associates they played for the same team in the same stadium in the same clubhouse but other than that it sounds like they didn't interact a whole lot and Acuna also seems to be holding a bit of a grudge over Freeman doing some enforcing it seems like of standards and anti-rookie rules early in Acuna's career, kind of upholding the this is the way we play and this is the way we look kind of thing, which, you know, Freeman, I mean, we think of him as a a friendly and and personable person. He certainly comes off that way and seems that way. He was also, you know, kind of taken under the wing of Brian McCann and Chipper Jones and sort of the, the old school, right way to play type Atlanta players. And so Freeman said, You know, he responded to Acuna's comments and he said he misses Acuna and loves Acuna. He also did kind of cop to being the clubhouse police and basically said, like, well, the organization had some standards about, you know, where you wear your eye black or how far down your face it goes and that kind of thing. and. So it sounds like he was one of the people talking to Acuna as the upstart rookie. Hey, that's not how we do things or how we wear things or whatever with the Braves. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily that he was like giving him grief about bat flips or whatever, but it sounds like. There was a a culture clash there, which is maybe not unexpected given the different places they come from, the different ages. Like, I don't know that I expected them to be besties or anything, but still, it's notable just because when a player leaves a team after being there for a long time, especially a player with the standing of Freeman, Generally, former teammates will be like, oh, yeah, he's the best, going to miss him, et cetera, et cetera. It's just kind of a courtesy, you know, whether they really mean it or not. And Acuna was uh, just not going to play that game. (laughs) So those comments made the rounds.
0: Yeah, I hope that there can be some reflection. Well, I, I hope there can be two bits of reflection. The first is that like, we are all well served to probably remember that we don't have a great sense of or we might not always have a great sense of like what the dynamics between players are and like how this yeah. stuff is litigated and we should just, you know, be mindful that we're not we're not in the clubhouse and so, you know, we we don't want to assume good things or bad things about guys based on what we think we know. But I also hope that there's some self-reflection on the part of of guys in Freeman's place where it's like, yeah, maybe you're you're you think you're helping out cuz you're trying to help a younger player understand sort of like the how we do things of a clubhouse, but you're also in a position where you can be like, we have this young dynamic player and he's super exciting and like what he's doing and the way he plays the game isn't harming anyone and it's, in you know, inspiring a lot of people to like care about our team. So maybe we should reassess some of these rules because who are they serving, right? Like I know that Okunia was very knew in his career when this happened and so maybe freddie didn't anticipate like the the impact that he would have on the franchise or the fan base but like i don't know i think that the part of this that i found the most like i don't know disappointing might be strong but disappointing is like the year in which it took place, like this was pretty recent. Like I hope that we are continuing to move past this stuff and that veterans who are in positions of authority within the clubhouse and are better positioned with respect to the organization to like, be like, Hey, this is the way that we need to do this. We'll take Mm -hmm. advantage of those moments so that younger players aren't always the ones sort of put in a position of having to litigate this stuff and like defy an org when they're in a, a more compromised position relative to established vets. Even even a top prospect who was like understood to be very important to his organization. Like you're just in a different spot when you're the new guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think I don't – want to like be again i wasn't there and if these two are eager to move on from it like that's they get to say that that's their prerogative because it's their relationship but you know i just when you're when you're established you have more wiggle room to kind of put your foot down and be like hey is this the right way for us to do this? So I hope that we will take advantage of those moments when they're presented to us, you know, like in life or in uh, a clubhouse.
1: Yeah, Acuna said it was blown out of proportion. I don't know if it was, but he didn't seem happy that this was picked up so much and he even tweeted a denial that he said it or or said something initially, even though there was video and multiple sources saying what he said. But, you know, I think maybe he didn't anticipate the way it would blow up. It's just, it's not common... To hear these sorts of statements, not that he was saying, like, I hate this guy or anything like he's just saying, like, you know, we weren't close, like we didn't get along. We had some clashes. I mean, whatever. It's not that big a deal, but it's just not what you normally hear. And for Freeman to say, you know, he's like. Those are just organizational things. I guess I was one of the older guys that did have to enforce those things in the clubhouse. But when you put on a Braves uniform, those are kind of what happens there. And it's, you know, talking about like Acuna saying, when you come up as a rookie, there's always someone who wants to tell you how to do things. You come up from the minor leagues with the big eye black, the sunglasses, the hat low. And a lot of people see that as wrong. And the other person doesn't see it as wrong because it's part of the game. A lot of veterans picked on me when I was a rookie and they called me into the office themselves and told me, no, you can't use that. And they took the eye black off me with a towel like that, which that sounds like a bit invasive if that's what happened. But it's like, you know, they apparently have these rules about like – Not wearing earrings and, like, not covering the A on your hat with your sunglasses and having your hair a certain length and where your eye black is. Yeah, like, all that sort of stuff. Like, Freeman's, you know, he says it's unfortunate that he viewed it like that, but we were always told you put on a Braves uniform, you're supposed to act a little differently, hold yourself a little differently, and I just tried to uphold those rules as good as I could. And, you know, a lot of organizations will have rules like that, oh, it's a little different, you put on this uniform, blah, 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 you can talk about the Yankees facial hair policy in that genre, but really, like, who are these sorts of rules targeting, you know, and like, what sort of standards are they upholding, like the fact that it is institutionalized in this way, where it's like, you can't wear your hair this length, you can't wear earrings. It's like, who's making these rules? Hmm. Like, you know, who has been in the privileged position of enforcing these standards historically in baseball or in the country as a whole? So, you know, I'm not saying that, like, there was racial animus on the part of Freeman or anything, but I'm just saying that, like, the rules themselves, I mean, it's almost kind of baked in, right? It's like, you have to look this way and not that way.
0: Yeah, I don't think that there's a way to interpret those rules without seeing them as freighted with, you know, a bunch of both past and present sort of racial animus and certainly intent. Again, not specifically on Freeman's part necessarily, but like, you know, the guy cutting his hair doesn't always look like Clint Frazier. And that's <laughs> not who they tend to describe as like not looking like a ball player. And so mm-hmm. it's a very weird thing that this persists and is sort of hand waved away from From the club's perspective, where it's part of the, you know, expectation of being a big leaker, like there's nothing about wearing your hair long that inherently has to like be cast as unprofessional or unprepared. So I just, you know, every opening day. Lately, MLB has released an ad about, like, the excitement of the game and all the different kinds of people who play it and them all being welcome and how we should all be excited about that. And it's like, cool, someone somewhere in your organization views this as an important value, and yet some of the clubs are able to, like, enforce something that that feels... Like it's automatically gonna denigrate people who are just there to play baseball and have some fun and like it's fine. So just like let people be themselves. It's it's okay. Yeah. Like, you know, that doesn't that's not a slippery slope to anarchy. It'll be okay. Right, <laughs> and if we exactly. let people like feel welcome and as if they can be themselves, like it it often puts people in a better mindset to do their job well. Mm-hmm. So it seems like everyone's interests should be aligned here.
1: What are we yeah. doing? I think the "Let the Kids Play" campaign, which I enjoyed, but I think that started in 2018 potentially, which is the same year that Ronald Acuna came up as a rookie, yeah. and like he was featured, if not in that, like in the the "We Play Loud" successor to that, like yeah. you had this MLB marketing, which I, I mean, I think it was smart and and a good campaign and everything, but on the other hand, you have like players, veterans, coaches, managers, teams that are doing the opposite of that. And, you know, sometimes it's clubhouse rules like this. Sometimes it's, you know, unwritten rules on the field and players getting brushback pitches and all that sort of thing. So it's kind of at cross purposes. And, you know, I guess it's good for MLB still to put that message out there and hope that it does resonate and catch on and, and that that normalizes that idea. But there is still like in the short term, kind of this cognitive dissonance where it's like let the kids play but don't let them play with their hair beyond a certain length or while while wearing earrings or Or, with a lot of eye black or whatever
0: or with a beard on or with sunglasses on their brim like you know clearly the yankees thought that miguel castro could add something to their ball club because they traded for him so why does he have to shave his beard and his dreads in order to be part of the organization like it's just it's not It's not important to any of the stuff that's important that he do that, and you're telling people who might enjoy that as a form of self-expression that it doesn't have a place in the game, and that sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So don't do it, I say. Do better, please. Like, Come on
1: there's going to be some degree of conformity because it's a sport with uniforms and, you know, like there's going to be some commonality to the way that you look on the field, but there is a little bit of room for pieces of flair and for personal expression, (laughs) so just uh, allow a little leeway. No one is uh, going to be harmed by hair beyond a certain length. So We
0: shouldn't be managing to a particular mental image of a big leaker, because if we're doing that, it's going to exclude everyone who doesn't look like that person and i think that we're right to point out that historically like that person has looked a particular way and it's been yeah, someone like who's, freddie freeman <laughs> right just kind of like your like all-american boy yeah. yeah so i think you know if we're gonna say that the game is inclusive that it's international that it's a place where the kids can play then we gotta like mean that and it's weird it's weird that they don't put their names on the back of their jerseys i could go on and on <laughs>
1: All right. So a little bit of extension talk here. We had some extensions that were not signed, including Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts with the Red Sox. Also, no Aaron Judge and extension. Aaron Judge, right. Yep. Yeah, so that was announced just a little bit before we started recording here. And atypically, Brian Cashman, Yankees GM, announced the terms of the Yankees offer himself. He said that they offered Judge seven years $213.5 million in addition to the $17 million that they have offered him in arbitration for this year. So that would be eight two thirty point five. And I haven't heard from Judge yet as we are recording this, but if that is accurate, then Judge found that lacking seemingly, and this probably means that he will become a free agent. Not necessarily. He doesn't hit free agency until the end of the season, but he has said that he does not want to negotiate in season, and so if he sticks to that, then there's only a very brief window after the end of the season and before free agency where he could potentially work something out. So doesn't mean he's gonna leave, but it' It does increase the odds, and maybe that is why Cashman came out with this. I, I think partly, you know, he said, "Well, it was going to leak anyway, and and I would just be confirming it to a bunch of different reporters via text," which is true. On the other hand, it is not the way that things are normally done, and you have to think that part of that is the idea that, well, we'll put the terms out there. And we will at least make it look like we tried and potentially we will make Aaron Judge look greedy because otherwise there's going to be a backlash about us not signing the franchise right fielder, especially after not spending a ton of money over the offseason by Yankee standards. So anyway, I mean, the terms themselves, they aren't bad. It it doesn't seem to me, you know, I mean, Judge clearly not going to take any discount here. I don't know whether this even is a discount. He is going to turn 30 later this month and he does not have the greatest track record for health and durability. And there have always been concerns about, well, a big guy like that, how is he going to age? Is he going to break down? He's been fantastic when he's on the field and, you know, he hasn't been quite what he was during his rookie of the year year, but he has consistently been a 140 to 150 WRC plus guy with good defense so obviously you you want to keep him around but you know do you want him making 30 plus million a year until he's 37 well you know it's the yankees <laughs> they'd be fine <laughs> if yeah. if they signed him to that contract but i don't know that he would get much more than this on on the open market right Am misreading this I mean it depends how he does this season obviously like if he has a a monster year then maybe but if he has another typical Aaron Judge year where he plays well when he's on the field but he's not always on the field and he hits free agency heading into his age 31 season I don't know I don't know that there would be a, a much bigger payoff out there for him at that point.
0: It's, a, it's hard to separate for me how I feel about like the terms of the deal as they were communicated and how I feel about them having been communicated. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I I don't I don't disagree that when you look at Judge. So I think there are a couple of things that we can say here. The first of which is you're right that you know this is a guy who I'm less concerned about body in isolation than i am with the track record of health like i i think that if aaron judge had had sort of sterling health to this point and he was the size he is i wouldn't be like oh he's huge so he's inherently going to break down but like he has had a number of health issues over the course of his time in new york so far so like i think having injury concern with him is reasonable particularly given his age now and what the age would be at the end of the contract that said like I think particularly in New York, the Yankees would be silly to think that he doesn't have incredible value to the franchise, not only in terms of what he does on the field, but just in terms of like the and Judgeness of it all within their market, right? Like how many mm-hmm. tickets and jerseys and, and what have you are they able to sell because this guy is their franchise player and he you know, is so incredible when he is healthy and he has posted such amazing seasons when he's been able to be on the field. So, and and pretty great ones when he's been compromised even, you know, mm-hmm. so there's that piece of it. I don't know that I, like, I'd need to sit and think on the the exact terms longer to see if I think that they're, like, I don't think they're insulting. I do think it's weird to do this kind of stuff in public Mm -hmm. with the guy who is ostensibly the face of your franchise. Yep. Like, it's just, the Yankees have had just, like, a really weird vibe for a couple of months now. Yeah. Like, I, I know that that is an imprecise way to describe it, but it is just a it's a fundamentally strange thing for one of the most valuable franchises in sports forget baseball to to decide that like this is the way that they are going to conduct themselves that they are going to be so fixated on the luxury tax thresholds that they are going to put out a number that i agree with you is clearly meant to make their like again franchise guy seem like he's not grateful for taking it so i think that the contract offer in itself is fine i think that Aaron Judge is fine to want to test the market like if he thinks he can do better than this like that's his prerogative he gets to say like i think i can do better and i'm going to see if the rest of the league agrees and like he's assuming some risk in doing that both in terms of his performance this year and even beyond that the rest of the league's willingness to like offer him more but he gets to take that calculated risk if he thinks it's worthwhile but i just think it's really freaking weird to like Have your GM go up there and say the exact terms that were offered? Like, that's
1: (laughs) weird. Yeah. It's so
0: bizarre. Like, you could say it's
1: it's cutting out the middle people because, like, it's going to leak anyway, right? And it's going to get reported probably. And why not just? put it out there I guess and judge can confirm or deny it if he wants I, I see that side of it on the other hand like you just have to ask well, why now in this case like who yeah. does this serve and who does it serve I apart from it, right.
0: you cover later when he ends up going somewhere else
1: yeah right and you know he said some complimentary things about judge and yeah. in that same address like you know he's making it clear like oh we want to keep him and we think he's great and he's a great player on and on but yeah you know probably don't put this out there if you think it makes you look bad so
0: yeah i just i i find it i find it to be a kind of odd uh series of events And, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up back with the team on an extension at the end of the year. But, like, here's the question for the Yankees. Let's imagine for a second that Aaron Judge has, like, a a really amazing year. Like, he stays healthy. He produces at the level that we know he's capable of. You know, last year he played... In 148 Yankees games, like he seemed to have turned the corner. It was his highest total since 2017. So let's say he goes out and he has an amazing 2021 and he puts up, I don't know, like he puts up a season similar to what he did in 2017. Are you upping your offer? Like, are you going to let that guy walk? Now you're in a really weird spot because people are managing to a specific number. This is how you've decided to conduct yourself and you've just had the face of your franchise put up potentially a year that would net him a much more lucrative offer somewhere else. Like, what does that do? So, I don't know. It just seems – I know that you're right, that this stuff ends up leaking and getting reported and that, like, sometimes it's the, the- – player and his agent that leaks those numbers it's not like it's exclusively the province of teams to like Mm -hmm. leak a contract figure right so like i don't want to be naive and pretend that that's true but there's something about like choosing to step into the public and be like here i am at a press conference with the logo behind me i don't know i just don't i don't Especially care for it. I would have had more respect if he had. I wouldn't have had respect because he would have been violating Aaron Judge's privacy. But part of me would have been like, "Well, we're worried this guy's not going to be able to play sometimes, so we're lowballing him." I mean, that would yeah. be bad too. To be clear, Brian clearer.
1: Cashman would say something like that. Like, yeah. if anyone's going kinda, to, <laughs> that it's is gonna one, be one thing I appreciate Randy about, about him. Being like, "Ah, <laughs> <Right>. well." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Randy be not as much uh, admiration there, but Cashman, no. I, I do sometimes value that he ca- will just sort of, you candor. know, pretty, pretty straight talker. So.
0: I want to be very clear that I don't think that employers should be in the business of like publicly discussing their employees' <laughs> vaccination status. Don't yeah, get it wrong. Yeah, that too. I don't, yeah. I don't, that's not, but it's a question to ask. I mean, it is like a, a, a pertinent question to his potential contract value, particularly if he's mm-hmm. playing for an ALEs team, although I guess sure. that's less of an issue starting next year. So whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, Cashman, he's had that job for so long and seems to have such great job security that I feel like he's just like, yeah, I'll just say this, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to dance around it. But yeah, in this case, uh, it seems to be somewhat motivated, ulterior motives, perhaps. Anyway, just before we get to Ramirez and Hayes oh, right. and their extensions, anything you wanted to say about the Padres twins trade? So this was Chris Paddock and oh. the reliever Emilio Pagan for Taylor Rogers, Brent Rooker and 6.6 million. So Padres got another good bullpen arm. Twins got a starter and a starter who is under team control for three years as opposed to Rogers one, but they had to give up a good arm to get an arm. So in the short term, I don't know that you could say that they're necessarily improved. I mean, it just depends on how good Paddock is, which is really an open question.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're Minnesota and you think you can, help to to fix what ails Chris Paddock like this is an obviously good trade I think that my thoughts on it are mostly about how and I know that the Padres have made some recent changes in this department that surely have not yet had time to to sort of bear fruit but it does seem as if San Diego has a hard time getting the most that they possibly can out of their guys Mm -hmm. seems like They are relative to some other orgs that we think of as being particularly skilled at player dev. that San Diego struggles, especially on the pitching side of things. And so this is the kind of trade that you're going to end up making when that's the state of your organization, where if you feel that you absolutely need pitching, like you need a stable bullpen arm, and you don't view guys like Paddock as as fixable, at least by you, that you're going to make swaps like this where... You know, you might look back later if Chris Paddock is like lighting it up in Minnesota and go, well, what, you know, what are we going to do? But there's like a a strange acceptance or has been a strange acceptance on their part that this is like a, you know, a a issue that their organization has. Now we'll have to see what the new player dev regime does. 'Cause it could be that they write the ship and then we look back and are like, wow, it's too bad that you let Chris Paddock go before you knew if it worked. Like that's the other thing about <laughs> it. I'm like, didn't you just change player deaf guys? <laughs> right. So anyway, I think that like it makes a ton of sense for Minnesota because they still need help on that pitching staff. And if they're able to get paddock to blossom great and even if they don't like he can throw innings probably so that makes sense i do like that the the are now in the same division (laughs) Mm -hmm. there was a great quote from One of them, don't know which one, can't remember now, (laughs) That now the NL West is the best-looking division in baseball, which I found (laughs) delightful because they're twins, you guys. If you didn't know this, they're they're twins. Yes, you would not
1: know watching them pitch necessarily, but yes.
0: Yes, you would not know watching them pitch. (laughs) I'd like them to try to do like a freaky Friday and see how long it takes (laughs) us to be like, what is going on in San Francisco? Why has this changed? Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know. Those are my thoughts on the Padres and pitching Mm dev, I guess. Yeah,
1: I mean, we've talked a lot about how the twins need pitching. It yep. sort of sucks for them that they had to give up a really good reliever yeah. to get a starter. So yeah, that, that takes away some of the enthusiasm. You just hope that things will click for Paddock and that he will be a good starter for you for years to come. But in the short term, I don't know that it resolves their yeah. pitching issues. So
0: well, and and like Pagan has had yeah stretches of being like very good, but it's been. It's been a little while since that season in Tampa now. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, we'll we'll have to see what he's able to muster this year.
1: Okay. So the big important extensions that were signed, Cabrian Hayes signed an extension with the Pirates, eight years seventy million and Jose Ramirez signed an extension with the Guardians five years 124 also JP Crawford signed a a five year extension with the Mariners too so notable don't want to not mention that but Hayes and Ramirez those were big ones because these are organizations that are not known for spending I believe that their respective record contracts prior to these deals were both 60 million in Cleveland's case the Edwin Encarnacion deal and in Pittsburgh case, the Jason Kendall deal way yes. back when, which, you know, if you adjust for inflation, that was still probably considerably bigger than this contract. So,
0: Well, and I think Jay Jaffe pointed out when he wrote about this extension for us today that if you tack on the option year to McCutcheon's deal, the total value of that contract ended up exceeding Kendall's, but it was not mm. part of the initial – it was not part of the, the sort of Got stated – initial term so i think okay. that the the point still stands that the the record was kendall and boy is that right. embarrassing
1: <laughs> yeah it is so this does not blow that away or anything bot no. nutting still nutting but they got to keep their players and that's got to be very encouraging and a great relief for both of these organizations particularly for guardians fans because Ramirez was closer to a potential trade and because Lando was traded so recently, I mean, it's just the, the modus operandi of this ownership group. And so to see an exception to that is pretty exciting and heartening. I would think like there were trade rumors flying about Jose Ramirez, like up to the day he signed this deal, basically, which I don't know if there was fire there or whether that was just smoke or whether it was like, well, if he doesn't take this, we're just going to deal him immediately. So we want to have some framework in place. But ultimately he did and I'd say both of these players probably took at least a slight discount right just I mean, Ramirez is incredible he is great at everything he is absolutely on a short list of of the very best players in baseball he is kind of the the go-to most underrated player in baseball and when you reach that point which was Anthony Rendon prior to Ramirez probably you know once it's like the obvious oh he's the most underrated maybe you're not the most underrated anymore but no i think he still is just because still
0: is he is the so exception good. that proves the rule i think
1: yeah he's so good he's such a good hitter he doesn't strike out he walks more than he strikes out he hits for power he is a great base runner he steals bases he plays great defense i mean there's just no flaw in the game of Jose Ramirez yeah. really so you know he's like Almost Aaron Judge's age, he's like 29 and a half, and so maybe he was thinking, I don't really want to hit free agency when I... I'm as old as Aaron Judge could potentially be when I'm 31, the way that free agency works these days, and he seemed to really like it there, and he seemed to really want to stay, and I know that Francisco Lindor said he wanted to stay, but he also didn't want to take a discount, which, why should he? So, he didn't want to. Ramirez maybe was more willing to, for better or worse, certainly for better for Guardians fans who are thrilled not to have to lose another great franchise player obviously they still have to surround him with good players, which is something that they have not done of late. They have managed to stay like within hailing distance of contention, primarily because of the pitching development and Ramirez. And then a lot of the rest of the offense, and particularly the outfield, has just kind of been a gaping hole. So you would hope that this would be a prelude to more spending i don't know why it would be given the track record of this ownership group and the fact that they had ramirez on just one of the most team friendly contracts in baseball for years and at least recently had not spent and use that advantage so i don't know whether this presages uh more spending on their part or not but at the very least they get to keep one great player and i believe he has a full no trade clause too he does right indeed. so yeah. yeah
0: yeah i think that if you're a guardians fan this has to feel a lot better than seeing jose ramirez like suit up for the padres which is one of the rumored trade destinations yeah. before this deal got done i think it's great i mean like he's a fantastic player he'll stick around there's Definitely still work to be done with that team, but like he is young enough and good enough that he will still be youngish and pretty good when more of their prospects start to arrive. It does sort of, you know, I think we'd probably be naive to, to think that this is like the start of more spending. <laughs> right. But maybe it it's sort of them planting a flag saying we're not going to be the absolute cheapest team in baseball. And while that is not something we need to applaud overly much, it is better than the alternative. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, like he he, it clearly matters to him to play there, and now, Cleveland fans get to watch him do it for a long time, so that's fantastic. When it comes to Hayes, like, the fact that it took this long for them to eclipse the prior high is like pretty embarrassing, and that they Mm -hmm. only did it by like what ten million dollars plus whatever the option is valued at, because we don't, I don't think we know that yet, is pretty gnarly. I have to imagine that if he. Had been healthy for all of last year that that extension value maybe gets pushed a little bit higher right part Mm -hmm. of it does feel like they are getting him sort of at a low moment you know he was never going to replicate the BABIP he did in his very limited sample when he first got called up because it was something (laughs) insane but you know i imagine that given how he was compromised with the wrist injury that he probably will hit better than he did last year you're sympathetic to the fact that like a lot of his value even if he becomes a league average bat is still going to be tied up in his defense which is really superlative, but is something that doesn't tend to get compensated in quite the same way as being an offensive force so like he he manages his downside risk if he stays hurt doesn't develop into a league average bat is a guy who's just primarily defense first they get to keep him at a rate that they can handle I guess so you know I get it. It does. I, I still think that he, even given what his profile looks like, might have done better in arbitration if he had gone year to year. We always seem to forget that when we talk about these. Like, there are guys who just make a lot of money in ARB. <laughs> yeah. Like, not in the first year generally, but like, there are guys who do really well for themselves. So, when we're analyzing these deals, I do think it's important to remember that while you're obviously not going to make free agent money until you're a free agent like you're not making the league minimum those full 6 years either like necessarily mm-hmm. so i'm curious how agents think about balancing that but they might look at a guy like Hayes and say a lot of as i said a lot of your value is tied up in the defense and go like um eh, you know so right i don't know
1: yeah and I think the Zips projections for these contracts, according to the posts by Ben Clemens and Jay Jaffe, I'm cribbing from here, and of course, Dan Samborski's projections, Zips had Ramirez at five years and 137, so, not a huge amount more than he got. And for Hayes, Zip spit out eight years and 78 million or nine years and 86 million. So, Jay said it was uh, about 10% yeah. below what would have been projected. But, you know, not embarrassing numbers, not Albies or, or Acuna kinds of contracts or Evan Longoria old school extensions, yeah. anything like that. So, I, I think, you know, those fan bases they haven't had a whole lot to be excited about lately yeah. and it's still a limited amount of excitement because it's not getting someone else it's just keeping who you have already and yeah, maybe but not. sometimes <laughs> but that's that's a win yeah <laughs> if you're a fan of one of these teams so i
0: think being able to i mean not that we have to reduce fandom to this but I think that there's a lot to be said for being able to walk into the team store and buy a jersey and know you're going to be able to wear it next year, and that that guy's still going to be on the field. I think yeah. it means a lot. I mean, this is something we talked about with the Franco extension too. Like, it is just, it is meaningful to have it be about more than the laundry. Generally, to have it be about a particular guy who's your guy and is really, really good, and to know that the organization is committed to keeping that guy around. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little different with Hayes because I think that one thing we should also keep in mind with guys who sign these pre-Arab extensions is that, you know, in some ways, it especially when they're for a reasonable amount like his is, like, it can make them more tradable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because you know exactly what the cost is going to be if you're the team acquiring them. You're not having to sort of like model out what an extension of your own might look like, what a departure in free agency would be. Like you know exactly what you're going to pay for exactly how long. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean this is such a mean thing for me to say to Pirates fans (laughs) who want to be excited. Like, But I do think that it is useful for us to remember that like sometimes it makes you – very tradable but mm-hmm. not necessarily and you get to like go buy a Hayes jersey and be stoked on that you get to go buy a new Ramirez jersey, a new Guardians jersey and be like that's my guy. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Or you could buy a stephen Kwan jersey because sure. uh, everyone should join the Kwan hive. I <laughs> uh sound worse as this recording is going, don't I?
1: <laughs> well, I'll give you a little break from speaking and okay. end with a stat blast here that yeah. will be related to these extensions and I'll also say it sounds like brian Hayes is okay and healthy because there was a bit of a scare when he left yeah. the game on opening day and he hadn't actually signed the contract yet. It turns out that it was just cramping in his left thumb and forearm and evidently the hot tub loosened things up so sounds like he's okay he was not cramped from signing his contract or anything and so people were kind of worried Uh oh the pirates are <laughs> gonna slip out of this spending too because he will hurt himself before he has actually put his name on the dotted line but no doesn't sound like that will happen all right cue the song it's the
0: they'll take a data Tease out some interesting tip, but discuss it at length and analyze it for us in amazing ways. Here's to day stuff.
1: Okay. So a little bit of news about the Stat Blast today.
0: News. Yeah,
1: the segment itself is not changing. Everything that you know and love about the Stat Blast will continue. However, we have a sponsor for the Stat Blast, and it is the same sponsor that we used to have way back when, before it was even called the Stat Blast. So, long-time listeners will remember that for a period of uh, two or three years. Prior to this segment being called The Stat Blast, it was called the Baseball Reference Play Index. And Baseball Reference presented the podcast and the segment, and we used the Play Index to do the segment. Usually Sam did. And that relationship went on for a while. And then ultimately it stopped, I think, because Play Index Baseball Reference was redoing its system and was going to come up with its souped up replacement, which it did and which is now called Stat Head. And so they have approached us and said, hey, we have this uh, fancy stat head tool. Could we resume our relationship? And we were happy to do that. And, you know, generally, we've never had an ad on this podcast. And we have had only this one sponsor throughout the entire almost 10 year life of the show, which is a good thing, I think. You know, if we had ads, I don't know that people would. Stop listening necessarily. Like ads are on almost every podcast at this point. It's just the standard. But if you cannot have ads, then that is a perk. And if you can have generous listeners who support you on Patreon instead... (laughs) then that is the ideal situation, I think. And so we get approached about ads from time to time, but we have never gone for that and don't foresee doing that in any near future. But this one sponsorship is sort of the exception just because we love Baseball Reference and we use Baseball Reference. And if they were not sponsoring us, people who've been listening to the show for a while know we praise baseball reference and use baseball reference and stathead all the time. So they didn't even have to sponsor the segment. But we are happy that they have. And it's so thematically related to the Statblast segment that it just makes sense. And so, you know, we don't have to do some artificial ad read where we pretend to use or care about some product that we have no relationship with. It's baseball reference. It's Stathead. Yeah. So all that said, instead of uh, any sort of standard ad copy here, we will just say we love Stathead, we use Stathead all the time. It is one of the very valuable research tools that's out there in the internet. Not just for baseball, but for basketball, for football, for hockey. And as I noted, they have redesigned and redone the whole thing to make it more powerful now. They just updated the season finder so they added postseason stats which is wonderful because it's very hard to find postseason stats and almost annoyingly so now yeah. you can find them on stathead weirdly and, hard yeah it really is I mean I know we don't lump them together with regular season stats but they shouldn't be like impossible to find yeah. <laughs> so so that's great and you know now you can find like all-star appearances it used to be when you searched on stathead and you put the little all-star flag on there it would be like anyone who is an all-star at any point in his career now it's like were you an all-star in any given season so you can look up the best or worst all-star seasons or whatever which is great and you know they've got the season finder and the game finder and the comparison finder and the event finder and the span finder if you want to look for the most productive player over a certain span of time or a certain span of games and they have you know a daily breakdown of batter versus pitcher matchups which is something you can look at if you want to follow along with the games from day to day and they have a, a pivotal play finder that uses the Things like championship win probability added that we have used on here and neutralized stats finder, so you can look up what Barry Bonds would have done in peak course field, pre-humidor, etc. So it's just an invaluable essential tool. I use it all the time in my work. And we will not be using the stathead tool exclusively for the stat blast segment. We will continue to use whatever tools are at our disposal, but I rely on it. I mean, I use it and cite it, and uh, people will email us potential stat blast questions sometimes, and I'll say we don't need to do a stat blast because I can look this up in two minutes on StatHead, and I will just send them a link to that. So it's great. Go get it, and you can sign up with a promo code. We have an Effectively Wild promo code WILD20. That gives you $20 off in annual subscription to any of the StatHead single sports or the all sports subs for new subscribers. So you can just go to StatHead.com. It usually costs $80 for a year, I believe, for baseball or any single sport. So you can get it for 60 I guess. $20 yeah. off. That's a pretty significant discount. So StatHead.com. Use the code Wild 20 so that Baseball Reference will be happy that they have resumed this sponsorship and Uh. want to continue the relationship. And uh, otherwise, happy to have them back in the fold.
0: Yeah, very happy to have them back in the fold. Happy to be able to do like you know a sponsorship, like you said, with a tool that we use that is baseball related, in keeping with the pod. And you don't have to hear either of us uh, read you ad copy about underwear. So exactly, <laughs> everyone wins except for me undies, I guess. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, sorry. All right, so the step last today does rely partly on some data from baseball reference just by coincidence so i was kind of wondering about and this was actually prompted by a, a question from a listener and effectively wild supporter but it is timely i think because of the jose ramirez extension and i think jose ramirez at least up until this point has been extremely underpaid if you are just going by his market value or free agent value or what a win goes for on the open market he has not been on the open market he has taken himself off of the open market because this is the second extension he signed right he signed a five-year 26 million dollar extension before the 2017 season and since then he's been like you know, what, a top five player in baseball, right? And yeah. also two team options for another $26 million. So that, just given how well he played, I mean, that cemented the fact that he's been, relative to just how great he's been, one of the most underpaid players in baseball. So like, if you go to his Fangraphs player page, there is a value tab at the bottom, which will just sort of sum up, well, here's how many war he was worth. Here's what the going rate for dollars per war in that season was and just multiply it. And if you do that for Jose Ramirez, you get $275 million. 0.2 and he has made a small fraction of that in his career he has made 37 million so you know now he will uh hopefully equalize things a bit over the life of this current contract, but probably will not make up much of if any of that deficit that has already happened. And that is, you know, partly his own decision. He decided to sign that extension and partly it's just the way that baseball's salary structure is set up right, where you just don't get paid much in your early years of service time. But we got a question from listener Matthew who says, We hear so much after contracts about how the team overpaid or the player underperformed, but what about the all-time most exact values? Is there any fun in searching to see if a player in a year or a contract or a career made close to how much he should have, quote-unquote, made? And so I looked this up. With help from people at Baseball Reference and Fangraphs. Multiple (gasps) stat sites working together to produce the (laughs) stat blast here. So first, we have these Fangraphs dollar values going back to 2002. And Baseball Reference has pretty complete salary data going back to that point. Things get spotty a bit before that. So it's okay that we're only looking to 2002 but I asked Dan Hirsch, friend of the show, Patreon supporter, baseball reference employee, to first send me the total money made by every player who had a complete career between 2002 and now. So everyone who is no longer active whose career started in 2002 or later. And then I also asked FanCraft's Sean Dolinar to send me the totals over the same span for the... Player dollar values according to fangraphs. And then I put all of that together in a spreadsheet, or to be transparent, my wife did. (laughs) She is better (laughs) at spreadsheets than I am. And she did some magic, and we ended up with a spreadsheet that has both what the player would have made in theory on the open market, based on the fangraphs dollar values, and what they actually made. And so I was able to just match them up and see came closest and so if you're curious about who was most quote-unquote underpaid or quote-unquote overpaid over this period chase utley shows up as the most underpaid so he made about 125 million dollars in his career and according to the dollar values he was worth more than 400 million (laughs) so a difference of about 280 million dollars for chase utley and then some of the other guys at the top are players who do very well according to Fangraph's War because of framing. So Buster oh, Posey, yeah. Russell Martin, Brian McCann, they are the next few who are all like around $250 million under what their market value would have been. And then Benzo Brist at about 230, Ian Kinsler, 225, Curtis Granderson, 215. Now, interestingly, if you want to look at overpaid quote unquote players, the numbers are. A lot smaller. Like the gaps are a lot smaller because the way that this works is, I mean, look, people look at Albert Pujols, for instance, and they think about the Angels contract and how he was paid more than he was worth on the field during those years. But he was worth so much more than he was paid during the Cardinals years that he actually comes out as being like one hundred ten million dollars underpaid by the end of this year and and the end of his career, which will be the end of this year. So he just racked up so much surplus value during those early years that even if you play like and are paid like Albert Pujols for like a decade after that, it still (laughs) just like, doesn't really come close. So if you look at like significant size contracts, like there just aren't many that are really, underwater so to speak to any great degree it's like just a a handful really and the most quote-unquote overpaid according to this well it is the flip side of the framing value question. Oh. It's our old friend Ryan Domit. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, sorry Ryan Domit. <laughs> so Ryan Domit was uh, paid 22 million dollars in his career, which does not sound like a a enormous number and uh you know you would think that well he couldn't have been so overpaid, only making twenty two million dollars. But if you factor in the framing and the fact that he was the worst framer on record, basically at a time when you know the the ranges of framing value were very wide. According to Fangraphs, he has a like a negative nine WAR for his career, <laughs> which again like he was a league average hitter. But right. the framing was so bad. It was so bad. So bad that he was like hundreds of runs below average on defense. And so therefore, it shows up that he should have been paid, in theory, like negative 55 million dollars. And then therefore, he is like 77 million dollars. Under so sorry Ryan Domit, but not so sorry because hey, you made twenty two million dollars. Yeah, so that's, he's that's doing kinda fine. Cool. Yeah, the others at the bottom of that list are like you know Chris Davis at at seventy five, Yasmani Tomas, Hector Olivares, Ryan Howard, fifty three million under. You know, I guess you would not be shocked to hear those names. they Del- dumb and young, et, et cetera. So you know, again though, like the numbers are so much smaller on that side of the scale just because of the way the salary system is set up that it's so much easier to cumulative be worth way more than you're paid than it is to be worth less. (laughs) So that's worth keeping in mind.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's a funny thing too. And I guess you could say this about the contracts that are quote unquote underwater. But it's like when you look at like the, the team, if you were to look at this on the aggregate level of like the value that teams enjoy relative to, you know, what they end up spending on payroll, even when they spend big money, it's like they're fine. They're doing, mm-hmm. they're just, they're right. doing fine. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> right.
0: Can I guess who the most on the nose pitcher or player is rather?
1: You can, sure.
0: Is it Max Scherzer?
1: Oh, good guess. Let me see. It, it's not Max Scherzer. I'm but- shocked
0: by that. Because, yeah. like, oh. let me tell you, ain't never been a better contract ever than that. Oh, than yeah, that you know what? National deal is it because he's, he was worth so much before he signed the deal you know, in DC? No, because
1: he's he's not in the sample because oh, his career is isn't is yeah. over. All right, so this well, is only inactive players because you know active players. Sure, it would it's be hard all to whack, yeah, right? yeah. It would because be all it would be all know, players who hadn't hit free agency yet, and and Max is uh, still making money and still accruing value. Fair but enough. I guess you could compare to this point. In his career, right, uh, you could go to his uh, Fangraphs player page and and see what it says. So uh, maybe you can do that as I continue to speak here. But the record for just most on-the-nose, on-the-money, literally, player, I mean, if I'm not using any sort of salary minimums here, then it's Evan Scribner.
0: (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Yeah, Evan
1: Scribner as everyone expected that yeah. was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Just uh, if the snap blast ended there, that would be a bit of an anticlimactic conclusion. I yeah, think it would be. Evan Scribner is a, a reliever who uh, pitched for the Padres and the A's and the Mariners from 2011 to 2017. And he pitched 169 innings and he was worth like, one baseball reference war. I don't know what he was worth in Fangraft's war, but not a ton, and he didn't make a ton of money either. He he made three million two hundred twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars And in theory, he should have made $3,226,975. So he was $525 away from (laughs) his uh, calculated contract. So congrats to Evan Scribner. You were uh, properly remunerated during your major league career.
0: And see, like the thing about it is that he had previously only been known for my very strange Bartleby the Scrivener jokes. <laughs> right. So I'm glad he can be known for something else because that would be a terrible thing to go down as.
1: Yes, exactly. By the way, Max Scherzer is at like $500 million, right? Of, yeah, so uh, he's
0: he's like, I would argue that he is probably like right on the money for his national steal, but yeah, yes. he's just been worth so much more right, over. He's the- like
1: double what he's actually. Yeah, because but- he's
0: incredible, and like yeah. the way that we pay baseball players is a weird racket. So, right. but yeah. yeah, his his national steal. He pitched great, and they paid him a lot. It was one of those times where you're like, this works out well for everybody. Exactly.
1: Right. You could do this for individual contracts. It would be harder to do yes, and, and to and wrangle that data. So,
0: And I also think that the way that you approached it is, is more in keeping with the spirit of the question because it's very strange to not account for all of the surplus value that a player provides when he's making the league minimum or even just being compensated in arbitration and only hold him responsible for the the back end of his career yeah. so i think your approach is more sort of intellectually sound than than mine but i just know this about max scherzer and so yeah. i wanted to talk about him
1: great free agent signings yeah yes.
0: just really spectacular good job dc and i should say my accounting
1: here is, is kind of fuzzy because this whole like dollars per win model is based on like well, we have free agency that's set up the certain way, and so there's scarcity, right? And and so if I'm saying like, well, this is what this guy should have made on the open market, like if he was always a free agent well that's just not the way the system works and if the system did work that way then the dollar values would be different if everyone was a free agent every single year so in a way this is like a a theoretical exercise where like everyone's always a free agent but the dollars per win values are the same as they are now which is like not really a world we would be in so you could imagine this as like the system is the same for everyone else, but for some reason, like this guy was always a free agent. And so he got paid that amount. So anyway, if we raise the minimum a little just to like $20 million, just to like have players who made a, a significant amount of money during their career, then the most on the money guy is actually Alan Craig. Alan Craig, who played huh. from 2010 to 2015, mostly for the Cardinals for the Red Sox and Padres. He made $31.3 million and, quote unquote, should have made like $31.8 million. So he was less than half a million off from what he should have been. And he had kind of a, a weird career, right? Like yeah. it, it ended early. He kind of came out of nowhere and was great replacing Pujols, actually, right? And, you know, was good for the Cardinals, at least after that first year. And then just like collapsed and had a terrible year. But then he continued to be bad with Boston at the end of his career, so just like kind of a confounding career and not a very long one. But he ended up being paid roughly appropriately. Now the other guys who are very close, like actually, I I guess the the closest is Junichi Tazawa, who was like two hundred thousand off, and then the closest big contract, like over fifty million is Daisuke Matsuzaka, Mm. who uh, made 53.2 and was uh, expected, quote-unquote, to make 52.2. So that's interesting because you do see players, a lot of, like, Japanese players who signed in the middle of their career who ended up being, like, fairly appropriate pay, which makes sense because, like, they skipped the whole, like, under, you know, pre-ARB and ARB, right? And they just, like, got paid... Kind of like free agents from the beginning of their MLB careers. And so you see Tazawa, you see Matsuzaka, and Tanaka, and Jojima, and Matsui, like a lot of them are in this range, you know, Hideki and Kaz, like a lot of them are very close. Which makes sense, I think, given the structure of their career. And so, sure. you know, people might think of Dice K as I don't know—is he seen as semi-disappointing, perhaps, just in terms of his MLB career? Although his NPB career is legendary, but even so, in, in MLB, he like justified what he was paid given the market rate. He was still good enough to do that. If we exclude those players, I think maybe the most interesting one, and this is a a big money person who also had his career end early and somewhat disappointingly due to injury prince fielder oh. basically right on the money with 177 million in actual earnings and like 181 million in expected earnings and i guess that is a case where you know ultimately he got that big contract and then like had to retire because of what his back injury right and so he didn't produce value then and i don't remember i guess did he technically retire or did he still remain active so that he was still earning that money i I guess so you know he made more than he was worth early in his career but then that contract didn't work out because of the injury and so ultimately he ends up being right on the money basically so that's like kind of an exception that tells you what has to happen in order for a player to be good early on and and still not end up like Worth way more than in theory they should have been. And other guys in that range, Adam LaRoche is right there at like 70 million and 72 million. Brad Lidge right there at like 54 and 56. JP Howell, 25 and 26. Mark Trumbo, very close, like 60 and 58. Mike Morse, 35 and 33. Mark Repchinski, 20 and 18. So it's really a a mix of guys, but I guess Prince Fielder would be, like, the biggest, you know, big earnings, like $100 million or more, who was not a player from Japan and, you know, had kind of uh, came up through the usual system domestically and mm-hmm. still ended up very close so it's either Evan Scribner <laughs> if you set no minimum or Alan Craig if you set a moderate minimum or Matsuzaka if uh, if you count him or, or Tozawa and then if you're going to go with uh, the big contracts then it would be Prince Fielder with Francisco Rodriguez right behind him at 84 and 88
0: so what you're saying is presented with the opportunity to make this about Evan Scribner you'd prefer not to
1: I guess I would. Yes, you could say that. So I'll put the spreadsheet online and uh please use the numbers responsibly <laughs> and uh I'm thank so you too. sorry.
0: <laughs> Baseball reference, uh, this is what you're getting.
1: Yeah, you never know what you're gonna get with the sapless from week <laughs> to week, but Thanks to Dan and Sean for help with this data, and thanks to Baseball Reference for sponsoring us uh, at least through this season. So yeah. it'll be through this whole season. We will shout out Stathead when we do the stat blast, and that is the extent of it. So that's that. All right. Well, this was fun, and, and I will just uh, leave you all with a recommendation to not just watch baseball this weekend, but Also, watch this video that I sent you, Meg, right before we recorded, which is a a video. It was tweeted out by KNBR, the San Francisco radio station, the other day. And it's of Joey Bart, the Giants catcher, working with Giants bullpen and catching coach Craig Albernaz during spring training. And they're going through catching and framing drills. And it's just like a two-minute video. And I love it. I could watch this all day. I wish this were like drive to survive style Netflix documentary about like learning to frame. Like this is great. And it makes me sad about Robo Umps. And I realized while watching this, that like, you know what? Like, I, I I, don't know that I can be swayed from being anti-robo-ump, even though I realize that most people will probably prefer it. And maybe it will even be better for the sport as a whole. Because I just love this stuff. I just yeah. love this. It's like one of my very favorite things about baseball. Catching is so cool. Catching <laughs> just, is so cool. It's my favorite position. There is so much skill and technique and art that goes into it. And, you know, Albernaz is coaching him about, like, how to receive the high pitch and how to receive the low pitch. And some of it is about, like, yeah, you want to present it a certain way and look a certain way to the umpire. Some of it is just like, oh, well, Carlos Rodon's slider moves like this. And so I have to catch it with this glove movement. It's just, it's so cool. And there's so much skill and prowess and subtlety to it. And all of this will be lost if we have robot umps Like, all of it. And I just hate that idea and it's not even about like you know because i have praised john libka the new full-time umpire before because he's super accurate and i guess you could say well why don't you like the most inaccurate umpires because maybe they allow greater framing ability or something and i guess that's a fair point but i still think that just some amount of leeway there is preferable just because it preserves this art of receiving and catching and framing because it is such an art. It's such a trad- tradition that has been emphasized and revamped of late. And I absolutely love watching this and it would be so sad to me yeah. if, catchers just sat back there like you know they'd still have to do some stuff they'd still have to block i get that but the fact that they could catch the ball just any old which way and it just wouldn't matter even slightly because it's about where the pitch crossed the plate like that would just deeply sadden me (laughs) for this not to be a part of baseball anymore
0: yeah i agree i think that first i appreciate the existence of something like this because it does i mean it, it 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 really demonstrates the skill and the art and the craft that goes into this and i know someone will watch it and be like meg they're like acknowledging you know umpire tendencies to be fooled by particular things Mm -hmm. but like this is this is a skill these guys are doing a a thing they're not just engaged in in like cheap sleight of hand like there is a lot of subtlety and art to having soft hands and catching the ball well and you know following a slider into the zone in a way that isn't herky-jerky but allows you to really present a pitch in a compelling way and it's it's really cool and i agree with you i'd be i'd be sad if we lost it if it can just be this like no, I shouldn't be able to be a butcher back there. I've said it before on yeah. this pod, in mostly a joking way, but I have a hard time respecting catchers who can't frame. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, it's not aesthetically pleasing, and I think we right. will lose the incentive to do this in a way that is is subtle and compelling, and and it'll be a real shame because they still gotta catch the damn thing. Mm-hmm. So have them do it nicely. Yeah, it's just it's a personal
1: preference i know this is maybe a a niche thing that we share (laughs) that maybe a lot of our listeners is like i don't care like i'm not even paying attention i don't notice this or just saying like it's unfair to the hitter like why should it count against the hitter that the catcher is doing this stuff I get that like it is unfair to a certain extent although it's an unfairness that has been part of the sport from the beginning which doesn't mean it should be preserved just on that basis but we watch the sport because we're entertained by certain aspects of it and this is an aspect of it that just entertains me (laughs) more than almost anything like really like watching the art of framing I'm not trying to sound like some sort of hipster or like I'm you know a super baseball knower who's like paying attention to things that no one else notices, or something, but for whatever reason. And I've talked before about like how I fell in love with framing when I was working for the Yankees, and then writing for BP and Grantland and everything. And you know, it was like part of my career, kind of, and and one of the things that I focused on as a baseball writer early on. But just beyond that, I just I love it. I love watching a good framer as much as I love watching a good pitcher pitch or a good hitter swing the bat or or a good fielder field at any other position except i like it even more than most of those things so for me at least the calculus just it doesn't work like you know getting more accurate calls and losing almost all of the art of receiving and and catching it's just it's not worth the trade-off for me and and i get that many people's mileage may vary and i'm like trying to resign myself to it but i would so so miss this if this went away
0: yeah i think that for me it was like i felt more confident like after talking to people about it it, like more confident in my ability very early in my writing career to like diagnose it as good as or bad Uh (laughs) accurately and so like that felt really nice i don't know i just i've always you're 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 staring at it almost all the time when you're watching baseball. Right. I think that's the other thing, right? It's like you're just watching guys do this so many times in a in a game and in a season. And so, yeah, you take it for granted. Yeah, um, once yeah. you and once you start paying attention to it, you like can't help but notice who's good and who's bad. Like it it really is there almost every second of the game right so mm-hmm. I, I don't know i think that's part of it too so yeah. and people should stop saying it's like flopping because you got to catch the ball You're right you don't have to fall over
1: yeah. you well, have to catch the ball though several episodes right? <laughs> but yes yeah all right well i will link to that video on the show page It's cool. always yeah all right well baseball season has started mlb is back we are excited and we hope you are all too yes well, I'm watching the inaugural Apple TV broadcast as I speak these words, Mets Nationals. It's a bit of a mixed bag so far. The picture quality is great. The cameras are good. They mic'd up players during the game without interviewing them. Just played the highlights later. It's got kind of a clean, minimalist, Apple-esque look. No giant bottom lines or chirons or overlays. Also, nice not to be blacked out of the game as a New Yorker with a New York team playing. So I'm on board with that. That's the good. The bad, I did get booted out of the app and missed a couple of bats. Granted, that sort of thing still happens to me with MLP TV after all these years. And it's just day one for them. Maybe they're working out the kinks. There are no DVR features. Hopefully they figure out that futuristic advanced pause technology. But the big thing is the real-time updated probabilities in the bottom right corner that really never go away. I mentioned this earlier in the episode. They were teasing this feature, and here it is. And my early review is, it's a no from me. There are a few issues here. For one thing, the metric keeps changing. It goes from hit probability to walk probability to reach base probability to out probability, so I find that a bit distracting. Also, it goes out to two decimal places. Not necessary. But beyond that, it just seems to be borked. I don't know if I missed an explanation of how this works, but sometimes the probabilities seem to move in the wrong direction. A strike will be called on a hitter and his reach base probability will go down, that sort of thing. That seems to be happening often, and there's some unreasonably low or high numbers, a lot of big fluctuations. So I can't tell if it's based on the hitter's performance in certain splits historically or against that pitcher or something. It seems like it's possibly oversimplified or based on not enough data or not the best data I bet they'll fix those things going forward drop a decimal place maybe fix the system itself so it spits out more reasonable numbers but even if it did I'm not sure I need it not sure it's adding anything for me maybe it would if I didn't have a sense of those things in my head anyway if I were new to the sport but as of now not into it not into the betting odds either but I'm getting used to those and as I've been saying this Francisco Lindor got hit in the face by a pitch And the bench is cleared. And Apple did not show me a brawl probability, though it would have been low. It usually is. Lindor looks okay, although he is leaving the game. And so is Steve Ciszek, who got ejected. The good news for Apple is that that means there's something for umpiring consultant Brian Gorman to talk about. All right, let me leave you with an update to an old stat blast because there have been some developments in recent days. On episode 1523 back in April 2020, we did a stat blast about teams that had the longest streaks of having different players start on opening day at the same position. So no repeats. Different player every year throughout the span. And that question was inspired by the Giants, who had had a revolving door of left fielders ever since Barry Bonds left or was prevented from returning. And that revolving door has continued. They have now had 16 different opening day left fielders over the past 16 years. Jock Peterson became the latest this week. So that means they have gone 15 years now without a repeat. And that when we ran the Stat Blast would have been the second longest streak of all time. At the time, the longest streak was 16 years again, left fielders for the St. Louis Browns and Baltimore Orioles from 1940 to 1955. However, we did note at the time that there was also a long active streak in left field for the Padres, which was 14 years at that time from 2006 to 2019, Eric Young to Will Myers, well, that streak has been extended. So in 2019, it was Myers. In 2020, it was Tommy Pham. And in 2021, it was Jerickson Profar starting in left field on opening day for the Padres. So... That brought the Padres up into a tie with those Browns and Orioles for the longest streak, 16 years. However, that streak was snapped this week because and Profar started in left field again, back-to-back years. So the Padres are now atop the leaderboard, tied with those 40s and 50s Browns and Orioles teams, but the Giants' streak is still active. So if they have a different opening day left fielder next year, they will tie, and if they have another the year beyond that, they will then be on top. And I don't think it's a coincidence that left field is where these long streaks are. Because left field is uh, often just sort of a holding pen for different players who revolve around the field. Maybe there aren't as many franchise left fielders. It's just where you stick the weakest defending outfielder often, or the one with the weakest arm. There are exceptions to that, obviously. Anyway, Padres' historic streak stopped. Giants' potentially historic streak continues. Meant to mention earlier when we were talking about things we enjoyed on opening day, Meg mentioned Bobby Witt Jr.'s first hit. In that same game, I enjoyed the old guy, Zach Grant. Grenke going five and two-thirds, allowing only one run against Cleveland. Is it good that he struck out only one guardian over those five and two-thirds? No, not exactly. But that's a worrisome sign for another day. An opening day, it was about Grenke being effective and having his homecoming. Also, a brief mea culpa on our previous episode. I mispronounced the first name of the new AAA infielder for the Tampa Bay Rays who was acquired in the Austin Meadows trade. I said his name is Isaac Paredes. It is actually Isak. Paredes. That is how he pronounces it. This week, MLB released its new guide to player name preferences and pronunciations, and I learned that Paredes pronounces his first name, Isak. It is spelled I-S-A-A-C, which is what tripped me up, but I wanted to mention it because I do make an effort to try to get pronunciations fairly accurate on the podcast when I can. Not saying I always give it the right intonation or accent, but I at least try not to butcher these things, and we do go to an effort to try to figure out, okay, how is this name pronounced? How does the player say it? Look it up on Baseball Reference or look it up according to MLB's guide if it's an active player or watch a YouTube video and maybe they will say it themselves. Many times when I'm not positive, positive, I will check first. And I'm sure we still screw it up sometimes, but it drives me a bit batty when I hear on other podcasts just names constantly being mangled. Anyway, I guess I wasn't watching a lot of Tiger's broadcasts last year, and so I did not hear that it was Isak if the broadcasters were pronouncing it the way he wants it pronounced. And usually, I just will know that I don't know how to pronounce it, or I know I'm not sure, and so I will look. But when it is spelled like a name that normally I would know how to pronounce, it didn't even occur to me that it might not be pronounced that way. So, isak paredes a name to know because he will probably be a big leaguer again at some point this year you can support effectively wild on patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild the following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help us keep going keep doing this thing for another year help us stay ad free aside from our Stathead sponsorship and get themselves access to some perks Caleb Cabo or Cabo there's no pronunciation guide for Patreon supporters names unfortunately Wes Rumba, Kevin Philip Torres Jonathan Johnson and Kevin King thanks to all of you if you haven't already signed up One incentive, too, is that the Patreon supporter Discord group is hopping these days. It's got game threads and live game chats and a lot of people participating now that the MLB season has started. There are individual channels for each MLB team, and you can join and talk to your fellow fans, and you know it will be enlightened and courteous commentary from your fellow Effectively Wild listeners and Patreon supporters, so you can get access to that if you are a Patreon supporter, and at certain tiers, you can also get access to our monthly bonus podcasts among many other extras. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group effectivelywild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for me and Meg coming via email at podcast at or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod. There's an Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Thanks, as always, to Dylan Higgins for his editing We're and production and assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll be back to talk to you early next week. If I'd not cared for a little
0: while Then I wouldn't now have you Cause long came you Oh, you changed my life And I wonder if I know what you've begun Cause along came you Oh, you changed my life And I wonder if I know what you've begun